spitting distance. It should be our main go-to way of collecting samples. And with the real opposition party, please stand up. Are you a copycat? No, I'm not a copycat. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been doing on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Benedict Collins. And thanks very much for being with us. Let's start off with our pits and our peaks of the week. Shall I start off with my peak? And it's actually a little bit of a mixed one. I was meant to be with the Prime Minister in Australia right now. I'm a little bit sad not to be there. I think the stories would have been really interesting and leaving the country for the first time in a long time would have been exciting. But at the same time, I'm really pleased not to be in a managed isolation hotel right now or um, quarantined in Sydney. So I think there are pluses and minuses to lots of things. What about you guys? What were your peaks? Yeah, um, I had a peak this week and that was the story that I did yesterday. Uh, We had the Education Review Office uh, put out a report looking into uh, Māori education models, including kohanga reo, kura kaupapa Māori and kura aiwi, and basically highlighting how successful those models have been in terms of Māori student achievement. Um, And so that was uh, pretty cool. And um, some interesting stats actually coming out from the Ministry of Education. Look at this one. From 2010 to 2020, so over the last 10 years, in terms of NCA Level 3 university entrance, um, the pass rates have gone up over that 10 years for Māori students in mainstream schools by 18.4%, so that's a good jump. But look at this, Māori students in Kura have gone up by 69%. Um, that's just huge, 70, around 70%. Um, and then comparing that to, to Pākehā, um, student achievement in terms of Level 3, that's gone up by 11.7% in the last 10 years. So interesting numbers there. Um, obviously a successful model in terms of, you know, by Māori, for Māori. Um, and you'd have to say you wonder if, if that type of thing would um, also be replicated in like a Māori health authority and, and that sort of thing. So I had some fun inter- interviewing uh, Paul Goldsmith yesterday. Didn't make the cut for the story, but uh, still fun anyway. Yeah, yeah and really and interesting. Also right? fascinating, right, that it's rocketing in mainstream. Yeah, um, yeah. Like 18% compared to 11 as well. Yep, yep, yep. it's good. It's good. Yeah. Mm. And my peak of the week was also um, from another of um, Mikey's stories this week um, on the Koha donations. And there was this, I think, soundbite of the week um, smacked out of the park. Um, it was AUT's um, expert, Ella Henry. Um, and we should be able to play the soundbite for you. The day that Māori people take advice from Judith about what is tikka Māori is a day that we will have entered the twilight zone. So yeah, enter, entering the twilight zone. I, um, I Ella, burst out laughing when I saw that. Ella Henry gives the best interviews with the best sound bites. I wonder if that's something we should start, the grab of the week yeah. um, for mm. as part of this podcast. We'll think about including uh, Yeah, it. actually, I, uh, I would have a good contender for that one actually as well, which is also a bit of a peak. Um, but actually, we're talking about it later. So that's the national and act story um, oh, that so I did this tease. week. That, this is a tease. So, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned for that chat later. So pits then. Um, My pit this week was an email that actually came out at about 9.30 last night, um, which shows my life when I'm checking my emails at that time in the evening. But it was from Advanced New Zealand and just had some misinformation about vaccines. And I just feel like it's just a frustrating... From Advanced New Zealand, really? But I just think it's frustrating at this point in time that... For vulnerable people getting those emails and messages through, it's just so frustrating. And they had what they said was an authoritative source doing an interview. And it just, 
I don't, it just makes you feel a bit flat that anyone's even spreading that misinformation and that people might be looking at that and believing it. So I just thought that was a bit of a low. I mean, on that, right, fascinating this week in the UK um, with with Boris deciding that they're basically going to hey, sort of just throw everything open um, in a couple of weeks over there. And yeah. also just fascinating, right, watching the um, Euro um, football, like stadiums packed out. Yeah. Um, Who would have known with, a difference, you know? In the middle of a raging mm. pandemic over there, right? Like, so yeah. have huge numbers of people you know, catching it, numbers, you know, still dying. Really kind of interesting that they're um, throwing away the whole kind of lockdown system. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, my pit this week is that we are finally coming to the end of a long uh, sitting block. Has it been three weeks of sitting? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so now we are in for three weeks of recess. Um, so a good opportunity for everyone to have a bit of a breather, have a bit of a break. But I think by the second week, I think everyone will be itching to get some some stories, some press conferences going and be like counting down the days till we're sitting again. So yeah, recess weeks, recess breaks don't always go like that, though, eh? Often no. they end up being, been being really crazy. Busy lately. Yeah. 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 Uh, my my pitch, um, after four months after Chris Bishop laid his complaint with the Auditor General, they came um, about the subletting scam going out in the Hutt South electorate. The Auditor General came back and said, we do not have a mandate to investigate this matter or to draw, and we do not have a mandate to draw any conclusions about whether it was legitimate for the um, two Labour MPs to be overcharging taxpayers for their rent. So, yeah, four months to come back and say we don't have the mandate. So, yeah, pretty pretty um, slow uh, going on there at the so-called public watchdog. The General's office. Well, talking of slow, uh, there has been a bit of criticism around the slow vaccine rollout and the government's slowness to get back to saliva testing and bring that in as an option. So I feel like slow is maybe a little bit of a theme um, through this segment as well. Shall I just do a little bit of a recap and we'll get uh, all of the things percolating in our brain again? So we had this week laying up the timetable for the vaccinations landing here. 150,000 came on Sunday. 150,000 will come next week. And then 350,000 the two final weeks in July. So there's the time frame coming in. We're just holding it together with the vaccines and getting them out. But now at least we can kind of loosen the belt a little bit and get those out to DHBs and get them into people's arms. So I think there's definitely been a change in mood this week about the the rollout and how it's happening and some problem areas like uh, Canterbury, for example. We've also had the bubble overarching all of that as well. We've had New South Wales still in lockdown. Uh, By this weekend, most of the states except for New South Wales should be going again, but New South Wales is going to be the problem child for quite some time. It seems they're having some real issues over there. And another thing that I just wanted to point out that I thought was really interesting was around the border workers. So in February, it was like, oh, we're going to start doing the border workers. Then Chris Bishop, uh, Chris Hipkins, too many Chris's in our lives, Chris Hipkins came out and said, uh, right, we're going to get the border workers done by the end of March, at least one jab each, the vast bulk of them. We're in July now, and we've still got 20% um, of these border workers not even having their first jab, let alone having their second. And those, the figures that we had were two weeks old, so they might have 
shifted around yeah. a little bit, yeah. but that just seems extraordinary to me. I think that most New Zealanders will be thinking, ah, oh, border workers are done. Great, let's move on. That's our first barrier of protection. 45% of port workers haven't had their first jab, so have no protection. So those numbers were from Chris Bishop, the national spokesperson, and I just think that's really interesting given we had those two mariners and everything. So there's, there's my summary of, of the week on all of the vaccine stuff. What were your main takeaways for you? Well, guys? I think since we last podcast, we've also been through like a level two in Wellington, right? And we, That's right. We yeah. really dodged a, a bullet. We had a guy um, walking around visiting, you know, heaps. Of, like they, they had a good weekend here. They went to a lot of places. But um, while, you know, having the Delta variant um, of COVID, and they don't appear to have infected anyone. Um, the guy and his partner had come over for, for a long weekend. Like, yeah, so we Got really lucky dodged the bullet. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah. Look, yeah. that, that 45% number in terms of um, those port workers who haven't been vaccinated yet is just shameful. I mean, that's that's almost half. That's a lot. And not to have, you know, at least, you know, gotten their first jabs and, and gotten that done yet, it just begs the question as to what's going on there. Um, I think I said in one of our last podcasts, you know, roll, roll, roll the vaccines down to the port and when they're walking in for their, you know, for their um, shift Jab, jab them. Like, <laughs> it seems so simple. Why yeah. is it not happening? It's, you know, now we're in July, like you said, it's um, ticking along and um, everyone, I think, would have expected that that would have been more further into the process than it yeah. is now. And what we're going to see now is a situation where the government has to say, if you want to work on the border, you have to, it's mandatory to have a vaccination. Why that didn't happen at the beginning, nobody knows. And I really liked the, um, the comments from some of the people that they just said, look, this is absolutely perplexing that this hasn't happened already. Especially with the with the yeah, Mariner cases coming in. Yeah, at that's the right. Ports. Yeah. One yeah. other point yeah. that I did want to make too um, was I got to do an interview yesterday with Sir Brian Roche, who's al- always a really good person to interview, I think, because he's so considered in his answers and he is the person who's evaluating how the government's doing on all of this. So it was great to be able to secure an interview with him yesterday. And one of his big things that he recommended in the report last year was around saliva testing. And uh, our political producer, Lillian, got an OAA back on Monday, and we included that in in our story on Monday about the low numbers of of testing um, in MIQ facilities and it's voluntary so nobody's doing it and the saliva story saliva testing story has really um, gone throughout the week Um, and Sir Brian Roche yesterday was like look it's not really frustrating it's just more disappointing for me why we haven't done it we've got everyone around the world doing it that's how they're testing the Olympic athletes overseas they're giving them a saliva test every day and he said it's it's a mystery. Yeah, and it, it was fascinating, right, looking through back through some of the documents. So at the start of the year, the Ministry of Health was saying, hey, look, yeah, we could absolutely complement our nasal swabs with saliva testing. And they were sort of talking about being able to do like 4,000 a week. So the logic was, if you were working on the border or whatever, um, or in MIQ, you know, you'd, you'd come to work four days a week and they'd do a quick saliva test um, and, and they'd have the result the next day. And then once, once a week or once every fortnight, you'd have the nasal swab as well. But and while they'd said you know it's not quite as accurate as the nasal test because you're doing it every day it does end up being just as good and especially with that Delta variant around now right which is more infectious you want to be testing as much as you possibly can and this is you know not too invasive and it's kind of that same logic like as you turn up 
for your start of your shift, you'd do that or whatever. And there were some issues they talked about, right? Like you can't smoke or eat food within half an hour of having the yeah, that's the quite problematic. Test. For some people, it would be, you know. Well, it's just problematic in that I think a, a lot of people showing up for a test will be sort of rolling up to those testing stations, um, sometimes even without appointments. And then if, if they haven't known prior to that, that around the eating and the smoking thing. Well, they're kind of well these, these people it. will be getting it done every day, right? <clears throat> During their shifts or, what, or, or whatever. And you just have it at morning tea time or just or, before lunch or what? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could do it. Well, you'd be able to schedule it. So that, staff once. Yeah, do so you know what you, I mean? Yeah, you'd be able to schedule it at times so yeah. that they knew, you know, that half an hour beforehand. Yeah. Um, you know, not to eat or to smoke or whatever. Yeah. Um, but but interesting that, that at the start of the week, the government was kind of defending uh, um, the slow saliva or, or basically we haven't even rolled it out, right? There's been a couple of hundred tests done all year. Mm. Um, and they're kind of defending it, using this, oh, well, you know, there's issues with the smoking, with the eating. By sort of midweek, um, you know, sources were telling us that the government were tearing out their hair mm. with the Ministry of Health simply unable to roll out um, saliva testing and, and, and said basically they're thinking if they can't get it up and running in the next two weeks again, they, they may well end up having to either bring people in to take over like put a management above the team that's running supposed to be running the um, saliva testing or take it off them completely Yeah and we had border workers speaking out to us who were saying we want it as an option like yeah. it's not um, not everyone but just have it on the table as an option for people so Also really interesting this week to see that um, Medsafe's approved our second um COVID-19 vaccine, Janssen, mm. um, produced by Johnson & Johnson. It's a one-dose vaccine, so unlike Pfizer where you need two jabs, it's just the single jab, um, and this one has been approved for over 18-year-olds. It's good to have that backup supply, and I think Ashley Bloomfield said, look, um, you know, it, it's good to have that backup in case we, for whatever reason, don't get that shipment in on time in terms of Pfizer or there's a disruption in that sort of flow of Pfizer. And Hipkins also saying it would be good to have in the back cupboard just in case we need it for, say, um, you know, hard to reach areas. And also if, you know, there was an emergency situation, if there was a COVID outbreak and we needed to ramp up protection quickly. So but it good is to the have poor that. cousin, eh? It, it, it is the poor cousin. They both said that Pfizer and Moderna, are, you know, the sort of gold standard and um, Janssen is not, you know, it's still good. It's still good yeah. coverage, but it's not, you know, as good and as that's Pfizer. Thing, but that's, yeah. Pfizer's still the main jab that we're all yeah. going to be getting. So it's good to have in the back cupboard a backup, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I think uh, talking of backup, um, the second biggest opposition party, the ACT Party, um, is that's definitely... That's yeah, that, was, that wasn't strong. Sorry, guys. Um, I, I did end a little bit quicker, so I feel like I didn't have time to think that one through as much, but I'm giving it a whirl. Um, the ACT Party has been really giving National a run for its money. Do you want to share your thoughts oh, on that for us? Probably my favourite story of the week. Shoot, was good. Um, yeah, it was just really funny because we've been noticing that, you know, ACT and National have really been scrapping it out for the attention when it comes to the opposition airtime in our stories and headlines. And, you know, I think it was the other week um, ACT put out a headline on its press release saying uh, hate speech will, will be cancel culture on steroids. And then National came out the following week saying uh, the RMA reforms is uh, a grab at wokeism. 
And so really just trying to get those, you know, sort of um, catchy words in there to try and capture the attention and, and sort of get on TV and get into the news stories. And then there were examples where, you know, ACT put out a press release saying um, the police, you know, must crack down on gangs or something something to that effect. And then National put their uh, press release out and switched out one word in the subject, like very kind of copycat-like stuff going on. and A crackdown, not a cup of tea, right? And, and also mm. talking about cups of tea. And so I had to hit up poor Simeon Brown, uh, the National Party MP, was who was man. responsible for <laughs> those, uh, you know, who was... Uh, the guy on those National Party press releases that very much look like copycat work. And I said to him, are you a copycat? And he said, no, I'm not a copycat. And I said, are you copying it? He said, no, we just have similar ideas. We're focusing on similar issues. Yeah. So that would be my uh, my nomination for Grab and of the And probably your well. line of the week. Line of the week. My line of the week w- was... Will the real opposition party please stand up? But it is fascinating, all jokes aside, it's fascinating to watch them in, the um, in, that, in that space, also yeah. in the house. Um, but also, you know, they need to be working together because if they want to form the next government, they're going to need each other. So, Do yeah, you so go first? what we're talking about here when we talk about um, them sort of competing in the house is that you have uh, Judith will ask uh, you know the, the Prime Minister a question and then you have David Seymour just jumping up and kind of asking his supplementary questions during those questions and cutting Judith off and vice versa it's, it's going both ways but they are really kind of slugging it out um, and we just saw a um, UMR poll come out um, yesterday didn't we which um, in the preferred Prime Minister stakes had um, David Seymour out in front by, by a small margin over Judith um, yeah. Over Judith Collins, so which yeah. we haven't ever we haven't showed in our comma brunted, but he's definitely mm-hmm. been nipping at her heels. The other thing that um, I found out so this week, he and we sent a camera along to it this week. He had a lunch with three hundred people, and they each paid seventy dollars to have lunch and hear him speak. Um, obviously, thought he was interesting enough and. There's a thing on Trade Me at the moment um, for a fundraiser that, you know, he'll give people a tour around Parliament and that's going for, at the moment, almost $12,000. And it just seems that people are... It's going to be one hell of a tour. Yeah, it's got, well, it better I, I, be. Yeah. People I mean, are interested in him. People mm-hmm. are interested in him. I mean, he, he took the ACT Party from a single man party, or, you know, single MP party in Parliament, to now having like a caucus of 10. Mm. Um, and that was pretty much all, David. So, yeah, he's popular. Yeah, and we actually got a um, camera in to the start For of the Act's first time, yeah. caucus meeting um, this week. And did how, little, how was that? Caucus, Not your high of the it, week. <laughs> yeah, did a little caucus run with them as well, which was, yeah, yeah good fun. Mm. So it's just, it, it's interesting, and it comes at a time when National is really distracted internally. We've got the Todd Muller stuff, you've got all sorts of other bits and pieces going and they don't have a chief press secretary at the moment. That's a challenge and I and that makes life hard. But it's one of those things that that's a behind the scenes problem that's that seems to be affecting them at front of house as well. And I just think it's an interesting time. National has been slowly creeping up in our poll numbers, um, solidifying that base again. But I just think it's an interesting time. They've mm. been told so many times to have their circuit breaker, to put a line in the sand and move forward. And we're almost a year on from the election now, and they just haven't been able to get it together and all be pointing in the same direction. Yeah, and I think I think what is starting to bug the ACT Party is that they, f- they feel that they'll go after issues and then the National pretty much follow them straight away onto the same issues rather than carving out 
and, and they feel that these issues are sort of more to the right of politics, and they feel national keeps coming over and competing on the on the same on the same issues that they're raising, like hapuapua, um, rather than competing perhaps more in the middle against against Labour, you know, for those middle voters, you know, perhaps more around the economy and issues like that. And so they feel that they're, they're sort of both doing the, the the same thing, whereas National could be more towards the centre mm. um, in terms of the issues they're trying to hold the government to account and on. And the thing is, is if National wants to build that 30%, They've got to play to the centre. It's That's where elections are won. It's not... Scra- I mean, if ACT are fat and plump as a party, happy days for National. But they've got to move and fight in that, the centre. They've got to be scrapping it out um, over some of the government's issues, not over um, what ACT is doing. And I think that's what's happening at the moment and that's causing issues. It's going to be fascinating to see, I think, in the next Colmar Brunton One News poll, to see what what happens, because we saw just them get so punished last year with all the disunity and all the you know mm. b- poorly behaving MPs, and then just recently, you know, we've had Nick Smith go um, under a cloud. We've had Jack. Muller um, uh, go go as well. Well, not not go, but he's basically caucus threatened to suspend him. Um, so he's, he's gone on another lengthy leave. Um, he'll come back. It's not clear whether the caucus will even let him, National Caucus will have him back in or whether he's just going to sort of be sitting off like, uh, like a Jamie Lee Ross for the rest of the, the next two years. Pretty uh, pretty good though, eh, to um, have a two-year notice period. Yeah, on a, generous. On a, yeah, yeah, on a big salary like that. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see whether they, you know, they, because they have gone up from 25 to 29, they seem to be going up and, you know, heading back almost... Get, nearly getting into 30, so it'll be interesting to yeah. see if they get punished again, fall back right back oh, down to where they were. wait for the poll. Mm, we do love Ooh. a good poll. Mm. Um, you've also been doing some solid work on Oranga Tamariki um, the last week or so. It's just been revealed some major issues there. Do you want to just go over some yeah, so, of those for us? So um, Newsroom broke a really um, interesting story looking at um, and had v- obtained video footage of people who work in the... Um, care and protection units, um, basically slamming kids to the ground, um, and you, totally against sort of protocol. Um, they are, they're sort of trained to use restraint holds where you kind of hold, you know, if kids are losing the plot and they need to be restrained, where you kind of hold their arms and, and stop them from hurting themselves. And here these guys are just smashing them into the ground. Um, so um, Newsroom broke that story, and there's immediate response. It was fascinating, actually. I understand Calvin Davis got up that morning, 6am or something, the video went live, and he was watching it on his phone straight away and was, like, appalled with what he had seen. And they just decided immediately to take action, which is quite different to what we saw with the previous newsroom stories around those uplifts where you had Tracy Martin and Jacinda Ardern refusing to even watch the videos, right? So so Calvin and um, Sawada Gardner, um, they really got out on this. They were like, totally unacceptable. Who's really within, strong within this Within a couple week, of days, they, they, mm-hmm. they shut the facility in Christchurch down. Um, but, yeah, we did a couple of stories. And so in, in one, we spoke to a... Um, a youth worker who had been working in one of the facilities and, and was like, look, there's just not enough support. They always wanted me to be doing double shifts um, and really, really, they felt that the youth workers just did not have enough training to be looking after kids with, you know, high, high needs. Kind of, They just weren't specialised enough, hadn't had enough training and said it was just a horrible place to work. Um, and the stress got to them and he, he told us basically, you know, he, he got to the point where he felt if he kept going to work, you know, his 
his attitude would kind of it would be unfair on the kids for him to be going in with that state of mind working with them. But we also spoke to two young people who had been in the um, Tioranga facility in Christchurch, you know, and they were telling some pretty horrendous stories, you know, being um, basically young young girl f- was fourteen at the time, being put in like isolation, pretty often over the weekends for like seventy two hours, just locked in this little room with nothing but a toilet and a window. For seventy-two hours, um, and a, a young man as well who had his arm snapped um, when a restraint hold went bad. You know, they, they said these places were just horrendous. And as you pointed out in the story, there's no doubt that some of these kids come in with real issues and aren't always the easiest people to manage. You know, I think, oh, I think absolutely you pointed that out. Yeah. But I also think that what you've got to remember is Oranga Tamariki is meant to be a safe place for the children to go who who aren't can't manage at home and yeah. that's the that's the whole point yes yeah, so, and so there, there are um the government is moving to shut these care and protection facilities down there are there are five of them 40 something children in, in the five of them around the country um they are moving to shut them down and try and set up smaller like residential you know specialist built residential homes where you might have two kids in the home with a lot of wraparound support right um, there and kind of have it more community based rather than basically these lock up you know prisons for um, kids with high complex needs yeah Yeah. well interesting stuff Mm. so we'll leave it there that was One News Inside Parliament our weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering we're on Instagram Twitter and Facebook it's available each week on One News Online And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. We'll see you next week. 